the official home of the Canucks. Tiki Pete comes out of the box and puts the puck into the back of the net. Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Bick and the Boss here on Sportsnet 650. Hope you are keeping cool. Hope you are keeping hydrated. It's only going to get hotter as the day goes along. It's it's tough out there. It's getting really hot under the collar in France as well. Absolute scene, C-Mac. The, uh, the, the, the favorites, the World Cup champions. On the ropes right now at Euro 2020, uh, they had they were down one nil, a penalty save in the uh, I think it was the 54th minute, and then they managed to score two really quickly right after, and then they get another one with an unbelievable goal from Paul Pogba. So you're thinking, all right, done and dusted, they are away. Uh, they are now playing an extra time in the 93rd minute, and it's three three between the French and the Swiss. Just an unreal game. And what's so frustrating to me, Bick, and we were doing our show prep and conversation this morning about it, is I was kind of lamenting the fact that there really hadn't been a cracker yet, in my opinion, at, at Euros. Yes, you know, Portugal pushed yesterday. Mm-hmm. and But in all reality, nothing has kind of elevated my excitement level, taking me out of my seat. And then today, when I'm busy you know, prepping for the show, running a radio station, trying to stay cool... You've got Spain going off against Croatia, eight goals in that one. You've got mm-hmm. six in this one. And in in my humble estimation, France, if they survive, which they probably will, they're, they're a good side, this, this will be their moment where they face that adversity and probably turn on to win the entire tournament. This is the acid test, right? Like This is what everyone has asked of them. It's... You have the capability to play offensive, to score goals, and and be on the front foot. And we haven't seen it enough. And when asked upon to do it, you know, down one nil, they stepped up and they poured in three goals. But you know, at the same time, kind of switched off a bit, and suddenly it's uh, three three now. And we'll see if they can survive this uh, Swiss pu- Swiss push and uh, hang on. Uh, to to advance, uh, but yeah, just just unreal scenes. We'll talk a bit more uh, about the Euros on the other side here. Also, this hour, uh, you hear from Gary Bettman doing his State of the Union uh, for the NHL as he does before every game, one of the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, he will be speaking at two thirty. We will carry as much of that as we can uh, live uh, at two thirty. Uh, we'll also talk to Dave Stubbs in just a couple of minutes from NHL.com. Uh, for the Montreal Canadiens, game one underway tonight. I, I think one thing that's interesting, C-Mac, is you know we we, we look for in championship moments. Like we, we just had the Super Bowl, and it was Brady versus uh, Mahomes, and we get into this you know, greatest of all time discussion. Well, right now in this Stanley Cup final, we got a bit of a, that conversation right now as far as you know best goalie of an era, and I think well, by yeah. and large people would say Carey Price. You know, talent wise best goalie of his era. I know a lot of people have disputed some of the results and uh, by and large, you would look at this and say, most players agree would say that guy's the toughest to beat. Well, now Andre Vasilevsky is pushing for that title as well. And coming with it is some accomplishments as well. 
And so he's he's already won a Stanley Cup. Here he is in another Stanley Cup final. Another highly acclaimed early draft pick. And, uh, you know, another guy that's staking his claim for if he wins this one, does he get labeled as best goalie in the NHL? And, and to me, like, that's one of the most fascinating plots of this Stanley Cup final. Yeah, fantastic matchup. Both goalies have the ability to steal a game. Both goalies have the ability to lead their team to wins when they get a lead. I'm really interested to see Carey Price, obviously from BC, ties here. But can he win the big one? And again, I'm not going to knock Carey Price for his career. He's been outstanding. As you mentioned, one of the best, if not the best goalie of his era. But there's always that, you know, like Luongo, there's always that, can you win the big one? And Roberto Luongo couldn't close it out for the Canucks. We'll see if Carey Price can close it out for the Habs. Well, let's talk to Dave Stubbs of NHL.com joining us now. Dave, thanks a lot for giving us some time on, I'm sure, a very busy day. Uh, you know, by and large, uh, the, the mood in, in Montreal through the roof. Well, it's through the roof. Uh, it is a great, uh, great enthusiasm, great excitement, great anxiety. You can kind of stir it all into one giant pot and see what uh, what spills out at the end. But uh, no, I mean, like, I don't think any of us expected the Montreal Canadiens to be uh, ready to play hockey in the month of July. But here we are. Um, you know, they uh, they benefited, I guess, from the realignment of the league due to uh, due to COVID this year with the Scotia North Division. The fact that they played against uh, the Canadian teams. Um, but, you know, here they are. And, and the interesting thing is uh, lots of people are saying, well, they didn't play these guys, they didn't play those guys. In 1986, Jean Perron led the Canadians to the 1986 Stanley Cup Championship, and a bunch of teams fell by the wayside, and he was the Canadians were kind of knocked for that, saying, oh, yeah, you guys didn't really kind of, you know, put an asterisk on here. And Perron had a good comment at the time. He said, all we did was play the teams in front of us, and that's all you can do. You cannot say who your opponent is going to be. But when that opponent is presented to you, you have to beat them and move on. And that's what the Canadians have done three times leading to the Stanley Cup final. Now, we'll, we'll break down the X's and O's in a minute. But I want to get your feeling or sense. We saw the crazy scene outside the Bell Centre when Montreal was, was knocking off Vegas and the people and the fans and everyone getting together. But do you think the nation is going to get behind the Montreal Canadiens, or do you believe this will be just have fans that will be cheering them on? Well, I would like to think, and you know what, I'm, I'm not a Montreal Canadiens fan in that sense. I grew up in Montreal. I'm a fan of good hockey. I like to call myself an original six guy. I mean, I grew up in the era sort of near, I was 10 years old when the NHL expanded uh, in 1967 to double to 12 teams. And so, like, I mean, though the crests of the original six teams have always kind of quickened my heart. So uh, I would like to think that the rest of Canada would like to get behind the Canadians. I know there are going to be some fans in uh, in Leaf Nation who uh, never want to see the Montreal Canadiens win. The fact the Canadians knocked off Toronto, I think a whole bunch of fans just waited out in a Lake Ontario to drown their sorrows. They just were, they could not believe that this has happened. So, you know, again, I'd like to think that because the Canadians are the last team standing from Canada, uh, that means something. And uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, since 1993, the Stanley Cup has been, if I can say this, loaned to the U.S. I mean, hey, uh, the Stanley Cup was a gift of Lord Stanley of Preston. It was conceived in 1892, first presented in 1893. Uh, It is uh, at the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto uh, Since 1993, if hockey fans from Canada want to see the Stanley Cup, they have to go to the Hall of Fame to visit it. And it would be really nice to see it back on native soil. Uh, We'll see if that happens. 
And there will always be an element of hockey fans across this country who will say that uh, anyone but the Canadians, as they say, anyone but the Maple Leafs, the same way in Calgary, they're not going to be cheering for the Edmonton Oilers. And in Ottawa, they're not going to be cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs if they go that far. So there are rivalries and there are rivalries. But I'd like to think that Canadians will kind of look at this and say, you know what, guys, give it your best shot. And if you bring the cup home to Canada, that's good for all of us. Is part of their... uh how how I guess hockey fans across the country have endeared themselves to Montreal this playoff run is is part of it that they've been underdogs through this whole series rather this whole uh, playoffs rather than favorites. I think so. I mean, you look at the fact that you know they went in against Toronto. No one gave them a, a prayer against the Maple Leafs. Really, I mean, you sort of look down the the, the board of the so-called experts, the media prognosticators, who all kind of pick the Maple Leafs. And I've kind of joked. I said I don't think the Canadians were supposed to be more than a speed bump on the Maple Leafs' road to uh, greater things this year. And I don't think even the Leafs thought that. I don't think the Leafs took them lightly. But um, you know, you look. The Montreal Canadiens in Game Five and Game Six were one shot in overtime away from eliminating nation and they survived both of those and they won game seven in toronto all of a sudden people started saying wow okay well they don't they're not gonna have a prayer against winnipeg right i mean okay they got past toronto and then they sweep the jets who had swept the oilers so i mean like how crazy is that so they move on again and they're still the underdog against vegas and everyone's saying well it's okay they've been playing with house money there's no way they're going to beat the vegas golden knights and sure enough they beat the Vegas Golden Knights, and they, they did it in an impressive way. I mean, they kept the, the top-scoring guys on Vegas. I mean, basically, they were invisible. I mean, Patchy Reddy and Stone were essentially invisible through that series. So now they move on to play Tampa, and Tampa is a great team. I mean, they've got an absolutely phenomenal power play, as we know. I mean, uh, they're clicking a 37.7 on the power play, but the Habs have not they've not allowed a power play goal in 13 consecutive games. They've gone 30 straight penalty kills successfully. And that is, look, take 30 penalties and that's 60 minutes. That's one full game shorthanded. They've killed that off. So they're 93.5% on the penalty kill. So two great goaltenders on either end. You've got skill, you've got speed, you've got size, you've got uh, experience, you've got youth. I mean, it's a great matchup no matter how you look at it. But I think you're right. The fact that the Canadians were underdogs going into the playoffs and the fact that they just have, they keep coming back. I mean, they're, I've kind of joked, I said they were almost kind of like Rocky in the first of 107 Rocky movies when, when Mickey, the trainer, is <laughs> leaning through the ropes at the end saying, stay down, Rock. Well, of course, the Habs have not stayed down. They just, they just keep getting up. And it's been a fun story. It's been a fun story to cover in Montreal. And it's, I think it's been fun. I hope it's been playing well across the rest of the country. It sure has here in Vancouver. Uh, there are reports or, or video possibly surfacing of Armia landing uh, in Tampa and at the airport and headed that way. The Canadians have been through a lot this year, COVID situations, uh, <laughs> adversity, and, and to have this thrown at them last minute. But, but I'm guessing the resiliency or the lessons learned will help them deal with it, whether he's in the lineup tonight or, or just there cheering on his teammates after jumping on a plane and flying down to uh, Tampa Bay. I can't honestly think that he would not be in the lineup tonight. I know he'll be a game-time decision. It seems like it was a false positive. And here's a guy that's the last thing that Yoel Armia needed. I mean, having tested positive in late March. And then we know what what happened. I mean, the Canadians were shut down for a week. Their schedule was compressed. Their final 25 regular season games were played over 44 days. They had seven back-to-back series 
um, you know, they this is a team that got out of the gate cleanly, seven one and two, and then they were nine five and four when Marc Bergevin uh, decided to fire Claude Julien and Kirk Muller behind the bench. He fires his goaltending coach. Um, you know, you have Jonathan Drouin taking a leave of absence. He's still kind of working out some issues, and I hope that that works out well for him. Uh, they go 0-3 and 2 in their final five games, and they pretty much limp into the playoffs, fourth seed in the in the North. And they're overmatched by Toronto. They're 18 points inferior to the Maple Leafs based on the regular season. And then they knock off Toronto. So you want to talk about adversity. I mean, you look up the word adversity in the dictionary as the cliche goes, and you'll find the Montreal Canadiens logo beside it. Um, They've been through an awful lot this year. Um, And the fact that, you know, they then bounced uh, Vegas in six, the team that knocked off the President's Trophy champion, the Colorado Avalanche, just kind of has given them a great head of steam. And I know that John Cooper uh, is taking uh, the Montreal Canadiens very, very, very seriously, as is every single member of that Lightning team. And the Canadians at this point, I think the final line that you want to draw is where maybe they started the beginning of the playoffs saying we have nothing to lose. I think now they're saying we have everything to win. And uh, there's a very interesting difference when you look at it that way. The, the, the Canadians are no longer playing as though they're afraid to lose. They're playing to win hockey games, and they've been doing it very impressively so far. Dave Stubbs joining us from NHL.com. Uh, you, you referenced uh, you know, the, the, the North Division, uh, how, how it was a bit different for, for Montreal to, to get this pathway to uh, the Stanley Cup final. And I'm curious, you know, next season they go back into the regular division alignment and you know, here's a player in Carey Price that, you know, we all regard as one of the best goalies, if not the best goalie in the NHL. And I do kind of look at this and I think this might be his best chance because if they go back into the Eastern Conference, everything changes a bit. The players won't look at it like that, but how do you view it? Is this is this Carey Price's best chance to get this done? I think absolutely it is. And uh, a fellow British Columbian, uh, Shea Weber, same thing. Uh, You've got two guys who, I mean, Shea Weber is now, what, he's a couple months from his 36th birthday, and he's been averaging, what, 25 minutes and change? I mean, the the ice time that he's been playing has been crazy. Uh, He still has all the tools, and he's been the quarterback of this team. Uh, He's been a great leader in the room. A price, same thing. It's been leadership by committee. The interesting thing is where, you know, you have Shea Weber wearing the captain C. Uh, Carey Price is very much a leader in that room, as is Brendan Gallagher, who played, of course, uh, some hockey out in Vancouver. Uh, You've got guys like uh, Eric Stahl and Corey Perry, uh, veterans, guys who know how to get it done. Perry and Stahl are sitting side by side in the dressing room, and the young kids are just feeding off of these guys. Uh, but the leadership by committee extends. You now have guys like Suzuki and Kotkaniemi and Cole Caulfield, uh, you know, young players like this who are saying their piece, and they're saying it in the room, and they're saying it out on the ice. So uh, I think you're right. It cuts back to the chase. Is this the best chance that Carey Price has had to win the Stanley Cup? Absolutely. Will he have a chance as good as this next year? You can never say. Uh, I talked to Scotty Bowman this week about how hard it is to repeat and, uh, you know, Scotty repeated 76, 77, 78, 79, and then twice in Detroit, uh, and he was at the back end of, uh, of, a, of a twin bill by the Penguins. And, you know, Scotty said that you just look at the league now, you just look at free agency and how you can keep a team together or not keep a team together, and that's a huge thing. So I think the fact that the Canadians are, if they were a carbureted engine, uh, firing on all cylinders now, I think that shows that this is absolutely the best chance that these guys have had. Uh, to win the Stanley Cup, and I don't think that Price or Weber or anyone else, uh, you know, the young kids will have another shot down the road. But for the core veteran group of this team, I think this is absolutely their best chance. 
And you mentioned Price is a, a leader, quiet, uh, maybe in the locker room, but by example. So when you look at the goaltending matchup in a Vasilevsky who is, you know, all world as well, how do you size that up? And, and would Price, I won't say use it as extra motivation because I don't think you need any once you get to the Stanley Cup final for the first time, but will he use that kind of to drive him even further than what he's done so far in his career? I don't know that a goaltender is ever going to do that. I think, the, you know, the goalies are 180 feet apart on a rink. Uh, there is nothing that Carey Price can do that's going to put the puck behind Andre Vasilevsky and vice versa. I've talked to Martin Brodeur about this in the past, and he said, you know, I, I've played against other guys, and I mean, I look and I can look down the ice and I can marvel at what they're doing, but there's nothing that I can do unless they change the rules and let me go down the ice and, and go, you know, uh, bar down on the other goaltender. I mean, uh, there's nothing I can do that's going to put the puck behind him. So I don't know that either of these two guys uh, need the motivation, I mean, to to play any better than they are right now. Vasilevsky's 1.99. He's got a 936 save percentage. Price is 2.02 with 934. I mean, we're talking literally fractions separating these guys. I mean, Vasilevsky has four shutouts to Price's one. But, you know, it, it, it could be one shot. It can be one bounce. I mean, look at Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, there's a great goaltender who misplaced the puck behind his own net, and it was a nightmare for Vegas that ultimately led in a fashion to their elimination. So I think they'll look down the ice at each other and the handshake line, whoever wins this, is going to say good job and like I kind of enjoy watching you play but you know Price and Vasilevsky are going to be too concerned about the guys playing in front of them and the guys in the blue paint and the people making their lives difficult to worry about the other goaltender who's you know a rink length away from them. Uh, Dave Stubbs joining us Uh, just really quickly outside of goaltending things go right for Montreal how do they win? I would think the Canadians have to stay disciplined. They have to stay out of the penalty box the best they can, given the uh, the lethal power play of Tampa. Uh, and I think they just need to stick to the game that's got them to the dance. I mean, they can't change. They can't try to play Tampa's game. They have to play their own game because they know the firepower on the other side of, of, of center ice. I mean, that's evident. You just look at the stats and you see. But, um, again, I, I cut to what Scotty told me this week. Bowman said, look, it doesn't matter that, um, that Tampa Bay has four or has, uh, what, six, uh, I guess it's six guys or five guys in the top six in the scoring through the playoffs because Tampa Bay has not played the Canadians. They have not seen Carey Price. So it's a clean slate. I mean, as, as cliche as it is, I mean, you literally wipe everything clean and you go. So the Habs have to play their own game. They have to stay out of the box. They can't give Tampa the chance to, uh, to do anything on the power play. And they just have to play exactly the way they have played to get to this point. He is uh, the great Dave Stubbs of NHL.com. Dave, thanks a lot for uh, giving us some time, and uh, hopefully we connect during the series. I look forward to it very much, and thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. That is uh, Dave Stubbs of NHL.com setting up game one, which you can hear tonight on Sportsnet 650 at 5 o'clock, an interrupted version of the People's Show. Uh, We'll go to break. We'll come back, and you'll hear from Gary Bettman as he takes questions, uh, part of the State of the Union uh, ahead of game one of the Stanley Cup Finals. The commissioner on the way here on Bick and the Boss here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Bick and the Boss. Bick Nazar, Craig McEwen here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, continuing on at the Euros, C-Mac, uh, it, it's getting pretty tense. Still 3-3. Uh, 
uh, between France and Switzerland deep into extra time, uh, 115th minute now. And uh, it's, it's trending towards solving it at the spot. Uh, and as crazy as this game has, has been, it, it still needs to go up a, a level or two to match what happened earlier today between uh, France and Croatia. My um, old, uh, dearly departed uh, soccer coach at SFU, Keith Watts, used to have a saying when things would go to penalties. And it was the first time I'd ever heard this saying. He, he was British, and, and he, he's, he said, hey, we don't want to go to penalties because, he, he goes, it's a lottery. And and it, it really is. I mean, yes, you have great players, but mm-hmm. how many great players love to take penalties? Some don't. Some don't want any part of it. They don't feel comfortable doing it. And it's amazing how big the goalie looks when you stand there. And it looks so easy on TV. So if this does go to penalties, it, it is a lottery. And, and, you know, maybe Switzerland wins the lottery, but my sense of it is France will find a way to pull through. You never know. You never know. But it's uh, it's it's been dramatic to say the least. And like every player featuring in this right now, it's just uh, you know Pogba's had uh, a couple of world class moments. He also had a, a turnover uh, or the ball taken away from him uh, that led to the three three goal. So it's uh, it's unbelievable. This can pull this off. This is one of the the big underdog uh, stories of this tournament. Because even throughout this tournament, like. We haven't seen a lot of upsets. Yeah, there was you know Scotland, England, but it, it, it's it's nil nil, right? It, it, it's not a big result, and underdogs not winning in that scenario. You you feel great about one point, but you're not pulling away all three or advancing. This would be massive. Now we saw the Netherlands fall out. Um, you weren't a fan of that VAR coming to ruin the scenario. Well. All I'll say is this again: it might have been the heat, could have just been grumpy this weekend. But I was waiting for some great action Saturday, Sunday, and never really saw what I was hoping for. Obviously, today there is a lot of um, goals, excitement, but yeah, the VAR was getting me because I get it. You want to get the calls right? Totally understand it. But you know, Italy scrapes through because of a VAR call where now you're looking at a computer screen and drawing a line and seeing this pinky toe a little further ahead, and that negates a goal. And then you know the the Dutch lose a player because there's a a collision. I would say some would say maybe he was fouled. Others would say he fell over. Scoops the ball back. But in fast motion, the ref's original call, handball, yellow card, we go to VAR, oh, no, it negated a goal-scoring chance. I was just getting tired of it, and and possibly it was because, as I said, the matches weren't pulling me in like they should. But, you know, sometimes that human error, and I realize technology works and is great, and why not use it? I understand the argument, but sometimes that human error, that that little that you can bitch about, hey, we should have won that game because that person was offside – or that was uh, was a handball, should have got the red card. I just would have loved to have seen maybe the, the, the VAR go away a little bit this weekend. I, it, it felt a bit harsh for Delight to, to get that red. Oh, I will uh, pause there uh, because, oh, never mind. Uh, we, we, we are going to join uh, Gary Bettman in uh, just a couple of minutes here when he's uh, ready to talk to media uh, ahead of the State of the Union for the NHL. But just going back to the, the Dutch result there, I, I felt – Bit harsh because he's fallen over, but at the same time, you kind of have to know your last man back. And because he intentionally handles it, like I was fine with the yellow card, but because he's last man back and he definitely intentionally handles it despite falling down, you're kind of left with, with no decision outside of 
a red card. So I think that's. But was scenario, he pushed a little bit? Was he pushed in that tackle? Sure, but he, he, he he's again, doing like he, that scooping motion though. But if you if you look at it and go, this is a big match, knockout stage. Do I really want to impact this? I can get away with saying, hey, it was a foul first. That's a yellow. You, you could have justified it as a referee in my mind and not been so punitive in the the red card decision. But here's the thing, C-Mac. You know, we talk about referees' decisions even when you don't make a decision, you're impacting the game, right? You let that go, like, that's massive too. It, it allows the Dutch to have 10 men and – or, sorry, 11 men, and maybe they go into win because it's it's the type of act that you should probably give a red to. I, like, I get what you're saying, and it's I'm split myself, but – Ultimately, I think the ref makes the right call. And if he doesn't send him off, that has a big impact on the game too. The VAR made the right call. Not the ref. <laughs> the ref made the call in this, the field and, and went with a yellow. I, I agree with, with your point. I understand that technology should be used when it, when it works. But, uh, yeah, I could have just been grumpy too. I mean, are we going to see any penalties in the Stanley Cup Finals? That's what I want to know. Um, is, is, well, you don't see is, the whistles is, go away? Are the whistles going to actually come out in this? Because we haven't seen a lot called. All right, we'll uh, stop here. Gary Bettman here meeting with media uh, for the NHL State of the Union. Outside this arena, tailgating, playing ball hockey, and sharing in the joy that only comes from face-to-face -face interaction, a return to normalcy, uh, particularly in the moments just before a cup final begins. Uh, that we are, again, connecting virtually is a sign that we still have some work to do, uh, and caution remains prudent. But what is going on outside and the atmosphere that our fans will produce when they enter this arena are vivid signs that we are getting there, that the return to normalcy we all crave and work to achieve for the last 15 months is actually drawing closer. For the NHL, normalcy means the greatest athletes in the world playing the greatest game in the world with breathtaking skill and relentless dedication in pursuit of a trophy that is utterly iconic. But it will only be normal when our athletes are playing all of our games and pursuing the Stanley Cup in front of thousands of the most passionate fans in all sports, once again filling all of our arenas. Let there be no doubt, game and our players need and feed off the energy of our fans. The sights and sounds we've witnessed during these Stanley Cup playoffs have been reassuring and re-energizing not just in what we have been seeing in packed houses in places like Vegas, New York, and Tampa, but also in Montreal, where for obvious reasons, only smaller crowds have been permitted to gather. While tonight is a night of celebration, it is also a night of thanks. So thanks first and foremost to our fans, including those who are watching us live now on Sportsnet in Canada, and on the NHL network in the United States. This has been an excruciating 15 months for everyone. And I don't just mean NHL people, players, support staff, but for everybody, we understand that, we recognize that. But for us, the unrelenting fan support throughout the daunting challenges has been unrivaled. 
And quite simply, we are thrilled to be welcoming our fans back in person. My appreciation also goes out to the NHL's Board of Governors. Under these uniquely challenging circumstances, our ownership refused to waver. Ownership's incredible support has enabled us to operate through the pandemic, and with new investments, our comeback will make us even stronger. To NHL players, we marvel at what you have achieved over the last two seasons. I thank all of you, the Players Association and Don Fear. We did not get to this point without your incredible cooperation and professionalism. Only because of our players' love of and commitment to the game, their dedication to their craft, their adherence to protocols that have limited their lives both on and off the ice, not to mention they're being tested for COVID almost daily for at least 15 months. Without all of that, we wouldn't have made it this far. At the same time, they've thrilled us and they never cease to amaze us with what they do on the ice. Let me take a moment to send our thoughts and prayers to David Pasternak and Rebecca Rolson on their loss. The NHL family is thinking of you at this time. I would also like to personally thank my colleagues at the league offices, starting with Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. They have all somehow found ways to work harder and longer over the last year and a half to conduct league business as usual, even better than usual, at a time when it has been anything but. In particular, I would like to note the work of Bill and the team he headed with our Chief Medical Officer, Winna Moissa, who crafted the protocols that enabled us to finish one season and play another, a combined 1,077 games since the pause, while maintaining our priority on the health and safety of our players, staffs, and our communities. Since the beginning, our return to play last season, the NHL has administered in excess of 350,000 COVID tests to players and staff. Colin Campbell's hockey operations staff, Steve Mayer's event staff, and Steve Hatsapetros's scheduling team remained flexible and agile when we had to realign our divisions, divide or devise a division-only schedule, and then mid-season and on the fly, postponed 55 games because of medical protocol issues, forcing the rescheduling as a ripple effect of a total of 132 games. And I think there were also five games that had to be rescheduled because of weather. Uh, Kim Davis's social impact group is spearheading an exhaustive effort to mobilize the entire hockey ecosystem and greatly accelerate all of our efforts towards diversity and inclusion. The commitment and involvement of the four committees she formed, the executive, player, fan, and youth inclusion councils have been invaluable. They have brought passion, enthusiasm, and fresh ideas. I thank them for their engagement. Where I to take the time to detail everything these groups and everyone else at the league and our clubs have accomplished since we paused the 2019-20 season last March, we would be here past puck drop. So let me say, get rid of that fly. Uh, let me say, I don't think he's got the right credential. Let me say that the list is overwhelming. And instead, I refer you to a couple of documents that we are posting on NHL.com 
and our media website, a timeline of our league's activities since March 2020, and a release detailing our efforts and announcing that the NHL will invest an additional $5 million over the next 18 months to expand and even further accelerate our work on diversity and inclusion. One additional note on this topic, the league and our clubs have contributed and or raised millions of dollars for our communities during the pandemic for many causes, including Feeding America and Food Bank of Canada. Just one of the many examples was joining our partner Fanatics in their all-in challenge to raise funds for those impacted by COVID-19. I thank all of our longstanding business partners who are unflinching in their support while we work to complete the 2019-20 season. And then again, when we adjusted to ever-changing conditions to begin the 2021 season in January. We are also thrilled to announce, I need a fly swatter, that we're expanding our relationship with Sports Radar with a landmark 10-year global partnership. We look forward to working even more extensively with Sports Radar to give fans, media, and sports betting companies around the world a greater depth of data and more immersive experiences with the game. Uh, and I'm delighted to welcome 17, 17 new corporate partners who have joined the NHL family over the last year. Think about the strength of our game and our brand in this environment. We managed to secure 72 new corporate sponsors. And speaking of new partners, we are thrilled to welcome again two new national media rights holders, our two new media national rights holders, the Walt Disney Company and ESPN and Warner Media and Turner Sports. The media partnerships we concluded recently are groundbreaking and innovative. We could not be more excited at the prospects of how these two iconic entities will showcase our game. And we won't have to wait long. ESPN will broadcast both the expansion draft that will begin stocking the Seattle Kraken's inaugural roster on July 21st and the first night of the NHL draft on July 23rd. And speaking of the Kraken, of course, we welcome our newest franchise city, Seattle. By every indication, NHL hockey in Seattle is already a huge success. We also have a goodbye. Our sincere thanks to NBC Sports, which has been our US broadcast partner for a decade and a half and without whose efforts we could not and would not be where we are. Thank you, NBC. Shifting our attention to next season, I am pleased to announce that we are planning to return to a normal calendar and schedule with a robust slate of 10 poll events. Our complete 21-22 schedule, which will be released between the end of the final and the draft, will feature the Winter Classic on January 1st at Target Field in Minneapolis, with a game between the St. Louis Blues and the Minnesota Wild. We will celebrate Honda NHL All-Star Weekend in Las Vegas. On February 26th, the Nashville Predators will play host to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the 2022 Navy Federal Credit Union Stadium Series game at the Tennessee Titans home, Nissan Stadium. And while we're not yet finalized, we plan to host a Tim Hortons Heritage Classic in March. Now, with all of these 
updates, let me take a few moments to address the topic of officiating. It seems every season it's a playoff ritual for me to address some aspect of officiating. Let's be clear. Our officials are not only the best hockey officials in the world, they are the best officials in any sport. Our officials have the hardest game to officiate because no sport comes close to matching the speed and split second reaction time required to make or not make hundreds of calls in real time. Yes, our officials miss calls. Not as many as some suggest, but they occasionally miss calls, just as coaches and players make mistakes. Officials do on occasion as well. We don't like it when it happens. In fact, we hate it, but it is the nature of the human element of calling our game. And even with the human element, we have been and will continue to be at the forefront of adding technology to assist in their efforts. Our officials are constantly coached and critiqued and held, held accountable. As an official, you work well, you continue to work. You don't work well, then you don't work. As for the standard that we all expect, our officials are constantly directed, they're implored to maintain it from game one of the regular season through the last game of the final. But as we know, the style of play differs from the regular season to the playoffs, and that has an obvious impact on how officiating is perceived. Finally, overwhelmingly, our officials get it right. We always know that there are a handful of calls and non-calls that we wish would be otherwise. And depending on your rooting interest, you will likely have even more than a handful. Would we prefer that perfection is achieved? Of course, absolutely. Is it possible? Of course not. But it is our goal to continue the effort to get as close to perfection as possible. And we will continue to recruit, train, educate, evaluate, and make this part of the game the best that it can be. We are at the culmination of our 2021 season, and I want to congratulate our two finalists, the Montreal Canadiens, owner Jeff Molson, general manager Mark Bergevin, head coach Dominic Ducharme, interim head coach Luke Richardson, captain Shea Weber, and all of the players, and the Tampa Bay Lightning, owner Jeff Vinnick, general manager Julian Brisebois, head coach John Cooper, and all of the players led by captain Steven Stamkos. To both organizations, well done and good luck. They have made it through three of the four rounds requi required to host and hoist the most coveted trophy in all of sports. The fourth round begins tonight. Like all of you and our fans, we are excited for this Stanley Cup final to begin. And with that, Bill Daly and I will be happy to take your questions. Okay, our first question comes from Stephen Wino of the Associated Press. Go ahead, Stephen. Hi, gentlemen. Uh, Gary, the Chicago Blackhawks uh, launched an investigation today into allegations into Bradley Aldrich. I'm curious, when, when did the league learn of these allegations, and when did the league at some point figure out that the Blackhawks perhaps did not handle this correctly? Well, first of all, we, we learned uh, relatively recently, considering that the allegations, I think, at least uh, from what we know publicly, are 10 years old or thereabouts, uh, and we believed 
that it was appropriate in the first instance for there to be an independent investigation, which has been commissioned previously by the Blackhawks and is underway. This is obviously a matter of litigation. We'll await the findings from the independent investigation, uh, which is being conducted by uh, Jenner and Block, which has no connection to either the Blackhawks or the League, and it's being spearheaded by a former federal prosecutor. So we'll await the results of the investigation and then decide what, if anything, needs to be done from our standpoint. Thank you, Stephen. Next question comes from Scott Burnside of The Athletic. Go ahead, Scott. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> sorry, Gary, you alluded to the schedule coming out uh, in short uh, order. Can you tell us whether there is an Olympic break as part of that schedule or where are we at with that and what that might look like? Uh, we don't know as of right now, and that's causing us uh, – in addition to consternation, a fair number of issues relative to getting next season up and running. Uh, it's reaching the point that we're getting concerned about the impact on that season because of the uncertainty. And this may be a good time anticipating future questions. Bill, why don't you give an update as to where the Olympic issue stands? So, I mean, it's still very much a work in progress. Um, all parties are engaged. Uh, you know what the league's... Uh, traditional and historical position has been on the Olympics. Um, we remain of that view. And in fact, uh, with the, the, the future games in Beijing and the, the continued uncertainty uh, with the virus and, and the games being halfway around the world, um, not necessarily an ideal uh, games to elect to go to. Uh, having said that, we negotiated in good faith with the Players Association last summer. Uh, we agreed uh, that if the conditions uh, were right um, and we could reach agreement on all the material issues, uh, that we would uh, commit and support going to the Olympics. And that remains our position. Um, you know, we, uh, we've deferred to the Players Association uh, to try to work through those issues. And that continues, as I said, to be a work in progress. Um, uh, but as, as Gary alluded to, time is running uh, very short, so uh, hopefully we'll have uh, some resolution soon. We, we have uh, real concerns about whether or not it's sensible to be participating, having our players participate and us shutting down for the Olympic break. Uh, but as Bill said, we made a promise that if it can all be worked out, then we'll go along with it. But we are concerned both about the timing right now and about the open issues and the prospects of actually being there. Thank you, Scott. Next question comes from Chris Johnston of Sportsnet. Go ahead, Chris. Hi, gentlemen. A question for Gary. I'm just wondering, can you clarify what the, the Blackhawks situation, did you guys coordinate with the team that is the league uh, on their investigation or, or how did that play out as opposed to maybe doing one independently on your own? Well, it's being done independently by a law firm uh, that's been retained. Uh, we're satisfied that, that the retention has been appropriate. And in the first instance, we're going to wait and see what the results are from this investigation. And then we'll determine what, if anything, we need to do to follow up. Thanks, Chris. Next question comes from Katie Strang of The Athletic. Go ahead, Katie. Gary, you said that you became aware of the allegations against Brett Aldrich relatively recently. When did you specifically become aware of those allegations and how were you made aware of those allegations? 
think you should answer that question. Yeah, I couldn't give you a specific time period, Katie. Uh, as Gary said, it was it was relatively recently. Um, uh, we were made aware of those allegations by counsel for the Chicago Blackhawks. Thanks, Katie. Next question comes from Emily Kaplan of ESPN. Go ahead, Emily. Hi, Gary and Bill. I was curious, would the NHL consider punishment to the individuals or the clubs with the Chicago Blackhawks, depending on what the review shows? All options are available if there's something that warrants punishment. And I think we need to wait and see what the result of the investigation and the litigation that seems to be pending as well. Uh, these are allegations. What we know is based on what's public. Uh, and that's why we're going to be interested to see what the investigation reveals and doesn't reveal. And so I think everybody needs to not get ahead of themselves. Uh, these are allegations that relate to a period of time uh, that's quite some time ago, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time to piece things together. When we get all the information, we will do what is necessary and appropriate at the Thank you, Emily. Next question comes from Mark Lazarus of The Athletic. Go ahead, Mark. Hi, Gary. Do you anticipate the findings of that investigation being made public, or is that going to stay in-house? Let, let, let us see what the investigation reveals, and then we can figure out what, what comes next. I think everybody's jumping too far too fast. Uh, this is going to be handled appropriately and professionally and done right. Thanks, Mark. Next question comes from John Warrow of the Associated Press. Go ahead, John. Hi, uh, Gary. This is this is for you, and it's about women's hockey. After initially saying the NHL would only step in to back a pro women's hockey league if the two exist, if if the two existing you know, entities stepped aside, has the NHL backed off on that position in, in now asking the PWHPA and NWHL to see if they can strike a partnership? And, and, and why might might that be the case? I think that in order to best develop a professional league that may perhaps be stronger than the one that exists, it would be better if everybody could get on the same page. Uh, the sports marketplace, perhaps other than the big four of which we're one, uh, is pretty fragmented. And if you're going to make a go of a new league, you got to have all your ducks in a row. Uh, and our hope is that the women's professional landscape can be more unified going forward so it can be a more effective participant in that sports landscape. Uh, we've been keeping an eye on things and we're hopeful that, that the various groups can get together, but we've actually been a little distracted for the last uh, 15 months trying to make sure that we could do what we had to do under difficult circumstances with our league. Uh, but we are extraordinarily supportive of women's hockey going forward. And at the right time and under the right circumstances, we see a, a role for us to the extent we're invited. Thanks, John. Next question comes from Josh, Josh Clipperton of the Canadian Press. Go ahead, Josh. Hey, gentlemen. Uh, Gary, just going back to the Blackhawks uh, situation, what was your reaction to the allegations? The reaction, whenever you hear allegations like that, are, are concerning. But my first reaction is, tell me the facts. And once we know what the facts are, we're in a better position to evaluate what may or may not need to be done.
Thanks, Josh. Next question comes from Kevin McGran of the Toronto Star. Go ahead, Kevin. Gentlemen, Gary, you you refer uh, referenced in your opening remarks at the regular season in the playoffs regarding the officiating in the game itself. It it's almost seems to be two different sports. Are you happy with that? I mean, you have some of the greatest players of the regular season don't make it past the second round. Some say because of the officiating that grinds them down. Uh, wouldn't you rather the game be similar in the playoffs to the one the fans witness in the regular season? The teams will decide how they want to play a series. And unlike the regular season, uh, when you're playing series, uh, multiple games, there are adjustments that go on. I think we saw more of that this year when teams were playing divisional play and, and multiple games against the same team in a row. Uh, we believe that the officiating standard is and should be called consistently. Overwhelmingly, it is. Uh, but the stakes get higher and our players ramp it up. I think that's the nature of the competitiveness of our game. Uh, by the way, I think our competitive balance both in the regular season in the playoffs is extraordinary. I think it's the best in all of sports. Uh, and our fans overwhelmingly tell us that they like the product. Thanks, Kevin. Next question comes from Frank Saravalli of dailyfaceoff.com. Go ahead, Frank. Hi, Bill. Uh, this question is for you. Um, without going into specific medical details, given the spirit of the CBA, Hey, can you explain why the league is comfortable with Tampa Bay icing a lineup in the playoffs that wouldn't be close to cap compliant in the regular season? And could you envision a scenario in which the cap is also included in part of the playoffs? I'll answer the last question first. I mean, certainly uh, I could. That, that'll be a product of collective bargaining at an appropriate time if, if we as a league or, or the clubs generally feel like change needs to be made. The system was designed the way it's designed. It's worked very, very well uh, for the time we've had it in place. Um, uh, nothing inappropriate was done here. Um, and at the end of the day, all, all the managers know what the rules are. Um, you know, the, the, the facts seem to align with the situation uh, that allowed uh, Tampa to bring back a significant player in the playoffs. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not apologizing for, for what is a sound system and has been a sound system from the start. How long has this provision been in effect? Since 2005. This is not new news for anybody. Uh, and circumstances were what they were, and we were satisfied that, that there was nothing untoward going on. That is uh, Gary Bettman's press conference as he gets ready for the State of the Union. We'll come back if there's any more uh, revelations. Uh, we wanted to air all the questions about the Chicago Blackhawks. If there's any more, we will come back on the People's Show with Sat, Dan, and Randeep on the way. Hey, golfers, get your discount Vancouver. Sorry. Get great Vancouver golf or less. Go to discountgolfcard.ca for all the details and to order your Vancouver discount golf card today. The People Show on the way with Sat Dan and Randy here on Sportsnet 650.